In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I, I was too scared to tell anybody. I was terrified of someone seeing me for someone that I wasn't, for the person I really was. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena Podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with our co-host and producer and longtime friend, Dale Culver. It's been about 20 years, huh, Dale? No, 17 years. 2003. Since I, since, since I first met you. So you're still hanging on and inflicting uh, or receiving my abuse. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know. I think I think it's not been too bad. Well, you know, nowadays if you say to somebody, hey, you're an idiot, well, that's abuse. So you know, so I'm sure. I've oh yeah, about. I have been. Yeah, I've been abusive. Think about it. Yeah, I've I've dealt with a lot of emotional abuse. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. We don't want to downplay it, but hey, I'm excited about our guest today. Uh, about a half a time, dozen times a year, Dale. We, as you know, we strategically interview guys. We call these guys our average Joe's arena heroes, and we highlight these guys on our e-blast. Also, we highlight them through our hero stories. Because we believe when a man gets it, everyone wins. But these guys, these guys, uh, even though we love having our authors and our experts, these guys are guys that are just getting it done. They don't have a hundred thousand social media followers. They haven't written books. They don't travel around the country speaking. They're just guys who have a story to tell that we think will benefit our guys. And so, this guy—I don't know how else to say this. I'm excited to have him on the show because he kind of wrecked his life. He kind of did some things that really hurt him. And he's recovered, and he's done a complete 180, and so has his life. And I think he's just got a great story to tell because a lot of guys are out there, Dale, and they're saying, these other guys sound so perfect. We want to hear a guy that sounds like us. And so this guy sounds like us. And so I'm super excited to bring him on the show. And so, But before we do that, do you have a man word for us today? Yes, I do. It, it is failure. Brokenness. Oh, I was close. Pretty- Close, very close. Yeah, yeah. I know that, like, with the, our guest, you know, because of his brokenness, he has been able to help others and has inspired him to help others. And I think that uh, that's a cool thing when when you mess up uh, and you learn from it, and then now you take that, those lessons and you help other guys. And it's so key. Well, you know, Romans eight twenty eight says, "For God works all things out for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose." There's a lot in that, but basically when we love God and we move in obedience to his purposes, he turns our mess into our message. And I just think that's so critical that we all have a message. Unfortunately, it's packaged in a mess and we have to unpack that to move forward with our story. And so this guy's got a great story and I just invited him on. I wanted him to share his story. And honestly, his story is very similar to many guys out there listening, but it's his story. I want him to share it. So I want to bring on our new friend, Rick Aldred. He is 31 years old, lives in Lone Jack, Missouri. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Emily. 
for 11 years. I know she's beautiful because he's a ginger and only gingers <laughs> get pretty girls. So it's gingers get all the pretty girls. So, and the bald guy and the bald guys. So the bald guys. So you've even got a ginger beard, man. You know? Yeah. I started, you know, growing that out after I got out, you know, that's awesome. So that's sweet. So, uh, ever get that, you know, the funny part when I was growing up in the eighties, you know, high school, it was all about the blonde jokes. And when I was a kid, it was all about the Portuguese. I'm Portuguese with Portuguese. We call ourselves Portuguese and the Polish jokes. So you go from the Polish jokes, the Portuguese jokes to the blonde jokes. Now it's all about the ginger jokes. <laughs> that's right. You know? That's right. And, and the poor gingers, they don't, they, people say they don't have a soul. It's just, they have no respect. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just too, I'm, do you feel abused right now, Rick? Yeah, I feel slightly <laughs> abused. Yeah. I might need to, I don't know. I might need to go talk to somebody. <laughs> Well, we have insurance against uh, I'm lawsuits. here for you. We, yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Dale knows because I'm Dale's mess and he's turned it into his mess. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, man. Thanks for coming on our show, Rick, and taking the time this morning. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, yeah, I never really thought I'd be on the podcast. I quite honestly listen to it whenever I mow um, on a Saturday Wait. and just, you know, just crush some episodes. And uh, yeah, I just think I just reached out and kind of gave you a little blip of my story and I really never thought I'd be on here, but I'm honored to be on here. Thanks for having me. So I appreciate that, man. How, how did you hear about us? Um, so at our church, I go to a, uh, abundant life in Lee summit, Missouri, which is a suburb of Kansas city. And we had for one of our guest speakers was Lieutenant general retired Jerry Boykin. Oh yeah. And I think, I think you guys had him on and I just love listening to him every time I can, just listen to them. And so that's how I stumbled on your podcast, quite frankly. Yeah, that was a great show with him. Just to get him on our show is a total honor. So, yes. Uh, and we're actually trying to find some other guys like him. We're after a couple guys right now that'll be on that same level. So, yeah, it was I when we had our podcast with him, it was funny. He had a green screen behind him <laughs> and there's this big blue banner and it was just the weirdest it was almost surreal. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your background, you have your American flag in the background and you're, you know, you're in one of the rooms in your house, but he had this mm-hmm. whole green screen thing. And it was just, <laughs> it yeah. just felt really surreal. Like yeah. he was, he was not a real human. He was some kind of superhero. That's next level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, Hey, why don't we start out uh, this morning and why don't you just unpack your story? You know, you told us you were born in Springfield, Missouri, and you talked about graduating from Missouri State University. So what happened after that? You're 31 years old, so we're talking about the last decade, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually 35. I mean, you can make me younger if you want. <laughs> oh, I have. You know, it's funny. In your bio, I have 31. It, it's okay. It's all right. I don't know what happened. Yeah, 35. So 35. 35. It's okay. Um, yeah, so after I graduated from Missouri State, I – um, actually commissioned on active duty in the U.S. Army. So I did that in May of 2010 when I commissioned. So um, I commissioned as an artillery officer, and my first duty station was in Fort Hood, Texas. So I uh, deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, after the first four years, I went over to Signal, which is like the IT, radio, satellites, branch of the military. And so I did that for the next four years. And I absolutely loved my time in the military. Loved it. Um, miss it at times for sure. Um, but yeah, while I was, while I was in um, Europe, we were in Germany for a series of training exercises. I, uh, I had a series of affairs just with multiple women we would go for um three months come back for three months and i would just flip a switch i would go and have affairs and then i'd come back home and be the good husband you know or what what my wife thought was a good husband to her and during that time my my wife and i were trying to have kids we had been trying for since we got married and uh she had had five miscarriages at the time. So we were actually oh, wow. going, we were actually um, in the process of adopting. I paid the ridiculous amount of money that's required to, you know, do the background checks and everything to adopt. And uh, during all of that, my wife actually got pregnant and it, um, you know, she carried it past the 12 week mark, which we never could. 
And mm. during that time, I she was 12 weeks pregnant or and then to 20 weeks and I was in Europe and I found out the gender of my child, my daughter, Frankie, and I was out having an affair and just affair after affair and this, you know, messaging her back home and trying to live two completely separate lives. And so I thought I would honestly take that with me to my grave. Just to be frank, I thought I'd never, ever tell that to anybody because in my mind, I had confessed and I thought that that's all I needed to do. But uh, I kept having this nagging at me to, Rick, you should probably, you should need to tell your wife. You need to tell your wife. And I had actually convinced myself that that was the enemy, like condemning me. What I didn't realize was that was actually the Holy Spirit convicting me. And I got to come home from my daughter's um, birth. And I would get up every morning to go to PT. And I would see my beautiful wife and my daughter in the bed. And it just broke me. It just wrecked me. I just like, I do not deserve them. And so it just kept, it started off as a whisper. And then it started just beating on my chest and into a shout. And I really thought I could never hold it inside any longer. And so when my daughter was one month old, so on October 16th of 2016, I remember it. I said the words no wife wants to hear is, hey, I got to tell you something. And I started off with the smallest, most minute thing I could tell her that I had done wrong with another girl. And it was like peeling back an onion. It was just like, hey, I did this. Actually, no, I did this. And it just kept um, peeling back the layers until I was finally transparent for once in my life. So after that, I got the uh, ultimatum to either get out of the military or my wife was going to leave me, and rightly so. And so I made the decision to get out, and we moved back to Kansas City, where my wife is from, and uh, really had an identity crisis while I was here. I didn't have my rank anymore, didn't have my position, my uniform, none of that, none of the things that I held so dear. I didn't have any of that anymore. And I uh, went to go see a counselor and, you know, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. And that has actually turned me into a career or a, uh, you know, academia of counseling. So I'm actually going to graduate school now and I'll graduate in May as a, uh, with my master's in counseling. Wow. Congratulations, man. That's really cool. Now you're at a seminary though, right? I am. I'm at a Southern Baptist Seminary in Kansas City, Midwestern Theological Baptist Seminary. And so, yeah, I just started my internship last week. Saw my first client two nights ago. Oh, man. So, What's your expertise? Well, I I kind of I haven't don't know if I really have one yet, but I, I've done a lot of marriage and family are my the clients I have right now. So is that degree in MFCC or what are they calling it now? It's a uh, it's a Mako Master of Arts in Counseling. Man, that's cool. Well, hey, first of all, I want to say thank you for your service. Uh, we just want to oh, honor yeah. our military. You guys are our heroes, and uh, we just really uh, honor you by standing at the national anthem, and uh, you know, and really uh, pulling our country together because you guys have paid the price. So, thank mm -hmm. you for that. And I've got a couple questions My to your pleasure. story. So, you sound like you're a ser mm. serial adulterer. Yes. For a period of five years? Well, yeah. I mean, yes. Emotionally, probably for even longer than that. You know, I was never, I was always flirting. I guess I would call that adultery, honestly. I mean, I was always flirting. I was known as a flirtatious guy. And I would always say that. And we would kind of joke around about that um, until I realized how just big of a gimmick that was and how wrong that was. Um, but my, yeah, I was a serial adulterer for a solid two years with emotional and physical affairs for sure. So how long had you been married? You, you said this stuff started in Europe. How long were you married when you left to Europe? Let's see. That was 2015. We had been married six years. 
six years, and I won't ask you how many women, but I am curious about this. Mm. Were these mostly military women, or were these just other random women? They were all military. Yeah, I was afraid you were going to say that. I, I think there's a massive uh, systematic problem there with the military, and um, I don't know how you I don't know how you fix that. So, mm-hmm. um, interesting, very very interesting. And they probably and those most of those women were probably married women also. That's correct. Yeah. So okay. Well, I, I just I appreciate you being honest with that. Mm-hmm. So, so what so what was your personal breaking point? I mean, you said the Holy Spirit was convicting you, but was there any event? Uh, or was it the birth of your daughter? What what was the catalyst that that led you to really get honest with your wife? Yeah, I think we had prayed and prayed and prayed till we were blue in the face for a child, and I was pretty angry with God to be honest with you because I didn't understand why He wouldn't give us one. Mm-hmm. And little did I know that God gave us Frankie, my daughter. Um, he gave her to us at the exact right time that we needed her. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the breaking point for me was I would get up in the morning and see them and feel so incredibly guilty mm. and just so guilty. And I had not confessed it to anybody. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand, you know, that you need to confess your faults to someone else so that you can be healed. And I didn't understand that. And then it wasn't until I came clean for once in my life that I really experienced true healing. You know, it's, it's really interesting. I've said this for years. I think the Catholics have something on the Protestant church and it's this thing called confession. They realize there's power in that. Earlier when you shared your testimony, mm. you said, uh, well, you've already confessed, so why should you have <laughs> to confess to your wife? So my question, Rick, is who did you confess to before your wife? My wife. That was it. I I was too scared to tell anybody. I was terrified of someone seeing me for someone that I wasn't for the person I really was. And I mean, that probably goes way back into my childhood. I was raised as a, in a very legalistic conservative um, church growing up. And so I got really good at hiding, really good at hiding. And I could just compartmentalize myself and just be different person based on the situation and so I wasn't comfortable telling anybody else. I knew I needed to tell my wife. And then from there, I was able to, you know, engage some chaplains and then some friends. And then finally, after a long time, you know, being just open and transparent about it with others. So you had, so that confession to your wife was in 2016, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, be, but before that in your story, you said you had confessed. I'm assuming that you meant you had confessed to God. Yes, yes. Okay. I uh, I remember I was in, in Germany, and I was just praying at my bunk and just being like, God, forgive me. Don't let anyone find out because that's, that's a punishable offense in the military, adultery. You can get kicked out for that if you can prove really? it. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, please don't let anyone find out. I didn't want to tarnish my name, my reputation, my rank. I didn't want to get embarrassed by my sin. So I would sit there on my bunk and confess to God and say, Lord, please forgive me, forgive me, heal me. And then, yeah, I was like, well, I don't really feel healed until, and then that's whenever I ended up telling my wife. So I didn't realize you can get booted out of the military for that, even though it's kind of this Mm -hmm. unspoken thing that everybody's doing. Yeah, it's one of those things that's hard to it's hard to prove. Yeah, um, totally. But yeah, the the Uniform Code of Military Justice (UCMJ) you can uh, you can get kicked out for adultery. Wow! So you said you confessed to God. Mm-hmm. From your experience, what is the the difference between confession and repentance, and why is repentance so important in the confession process? Well. So confession to me was opening up and being transparent and 
repenting would just be doing the 180 from what I was doing and, and changing my ways. And, you know, whenever I heard Dale's initial um, word of the day, brokenness, you know, for me, without brokenness, I really don't think you can experience meaningful change. And that was true for me. That's really powerful. That's really powerful, Rick. Without brokenness, you cannot experience real meaningful change. So you had said earlier that you were feeling guilty, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what through your process, what's the difference between feeling guilty and experiencing brokenness? So for guilt, guilt is, you know, I did something bad and... I also had an immense amount of shame where shame says I am something bad. And, Oh, and so I, I experienced an immense amount of shame as well, where I felt unworthy that I was unworthy. Not that I had just done something wrong, which is guilt, but I had immense amount of shame that I was bad, just inherently bad as a person. Mm. And quite honestly, it made me feel disqualified as, you know, going into any type of ministry, um, for a while. Um, and that's whenever I sought the help of a professional counselor at church and he helped me walk through that. And I don't remember what the other second part of your question was, sir. So, oh no, that's really good. So this counselor, did this counselor inspire you to get into counseling? Yeah, actually. Yeah. So he actually attended the same seminary I went to. He's a wellness pastor at our church and you know, he, uh, he was just so wise and helped me see my uh the identity crisis i was going through and kind of where that stemmed from and just helped me kind of walk walk the path of uh you know figuring out what god had in store for me because to be honest i thought god had this magical blueprint from my life that if i didn't go through door number two you know out of three doors that my life was going to be you know, incomplete or lacking. And so he helped me understand that, you know what, God's for you. So whatever you want to do, he's with you. He's not sitting there judging you. Um, so that was, that was really powerful for me and gave me kind of the freedom and liberty to um, pursue counseling. So that's really, I really like that, that so there's a, I believe, a lie in the Christian church that says that there is a magical blueprint, as you call it, or mm-hmm. a God's perfect will. And I just don't believe that. I don't believe it's true for uh, the spouse you pick. I don't believe it's true for the life you choose. What have you learned about this magical blueprint and what really is going on in the kingdom of God? Mm. So I still remember the question he asked me, and I didn't have an answer for it. And for a Christian guy, I felt, I just felt just inferior that I couldn't answer it correctly. But he asked, is God for you? And I said, I said, I don't know. You know, and that was really, that was really hard for me to admit. And that was hard for me to say out loud. But I was like, I, I really don't know. And so then he kind of led me through that that blueprint, if you will. And it just made me realize how much, you know, this construct I had in my mind of, I have to find this perfect calling in my life or else I'm going to be incomplete. And he kind of just, you know, made me understand that from a, a real Christian godly perspective, something I'd never experienced before. What was that perspective that you understood after you meeting with him? So after I met with him, I, I realized finally that I don't, me personally, my personal opinion, I don't think God's necessarily cares so much about what career we choose, where we live, whatever. I I don't really think he's necessarily caring so much about that. It's whatever you want to do, I'm with you and I'll be for you and I'll be right beside you. I'm not standing back at the entrance of these three doors and saying, Hey, why didn't you choose door number three, dude? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's along on the journey with me. For sure. I, I think people get caught up in that. What God is really interested in is that you have given all of your life to him. That's the best. Yes. And, you yes. know, St. Augustine once said, you know, love God and do as you wish. 
or something along that lines. When what he's saying is, mm-hmm. if you're radically sold out to Jesus, then the things that you want to do are the things that will align with the Holy Spirit, and just go for it. There's a lot of freedom there. So I I want to I want to yes. take a second here from our sponsor, and then we're going to come right back because I want to unpack something that I think is very very important that you said earlier. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. So, so, Rick, you said something earlier, and I think as a counselor, you have not only a story to offer, but you have your professional knowledge and, and uh, uh, opinion to offer. And I want to tap into both of those things today. You, you said something that I thought, yep, this happens every time. Every time I have heard this, it, it plays out the same way. Uh, I even see this in little children when they fight and argue, right? Or when, when a, or when a couple comes to you for counseling and you know, they, you have the, you only hear one side of the story. Uh, you said something that you, when you first confessed to your wife, you kind of gave her, and I'm going to use this onion illustration. You gave her the top layer of the onion and then it began. And what I have found is when guys confess, when, or when there's some issue, we tend to confess the safest route. Can you explain what exactly you confessed to your wife and why that was just a layer. And let's start unpacking the reasons why guys or people go that route. Yeah. Yeah. I think first, you know, you need to feel safe and, you know, for as far as like a client, you know, in in the office, they're, they're not going to give you the full story up front. They're going to start with probably minuscule information to test the waters and see if you're safe. And so that's what I did. I was like, hey, honey, so I kissed another girl. And she, of course, blew up, you know. And then she was like, okay, well, you know, if that's all, I can, like, I can live with that, you know. And then it's like, no, actually, we did this. And then then I would feel safe again. And it was just really just for her she thought that she had closure and then I would just pour more onto it. And she was just having to relive that trauma over and over and over again until one day, one afternoon, I was finally like, this is, this is it. This is, this is everything I've done. This is me. And I, I grew up not like crying at all. You know, I, I think it was probably looked down on, you know, for me. And I wept in the fetal position in my bedroom, like a little child. I mean, just broken, absolutely broken. In front of her, in front of her or alone? In front of her. Yeah. In front of her. So, okay. You've said a couple things I'm already wanting to ask questions about. So you, you said you told her you kissed a girl and you progressed to, you know, adultery, 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 mm-hmm. where you eventually went to the whole, went through the whole gamut. Right. Was that in the process yeah. of an hour or a month or a year? How long before you confessed all these layers? So it was probably through the course of one to two months. So it was that it was that first that first day I started with the most really minute thing, uh, and I hate to use the word minute because that's that was definitely not minute to her or our marriage, but. It was a slow just decay of all of the walls that I had built up. Um, and it took at, at least two months before I was finally transparent and open and honest with her about everything I had done. So looking back on that, Rick, was that fair to her or was that the right route or would you do anything different? It sounds like you were ripping scab after scab. But I'm, and I, that may be the right way to go. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. Uh, was that the right way to go about as it? As far as the confession for her, it wasn't. It wasn't fair to her. No, I mean that was immensely painful for her. I mean, 
seeing the the hurt that I had caused her, I mean, it uh, it wrecked me, and I was I felt good because I was like, Hallelujah! Yeah. I've I feel free. And then I would look at her, and she was absolutely broken. And we had a one month old baby, and so she's already stressed enough. And uh, I felt free, and she just was crushed. So no, that was not fair to her at all. So you made a comment, and I, I want to dig deeper into this. You said that you were you confessed the top or outer layer to see if she was safe. Um, what does mm-hmm. that mean to you? Because whether she safe as in she's not going to divorce you. If, I mean, were you going to say if she's going to divorce me over kiss, I'm going to stop confessing there. At what point did you realize all of these things? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I was scared she was going to leave me. I was terrified she was going to leave me. And so I, I started off slow because I'm I did not want her to leave me. And I was terrified that if I showed her my true colors, that she was just going to off and run. And so that's why, that's the reason in my head why I did what I did. It took so long to actually come clean. So you're saying a lot of things I've heard before, and I just, I think this is really good to bring out. So your adultery, Mm -hmm. there's never an excuse for that, ever. But a lot of times guys have reasons for that that are marital. But it seems mm-hmm. to me more often than not that guys really don't have reasons. It's oftentimes not about the wife at all. A man's pornography problem. I know that you had had that in your life as well. A pornography, yeah, for sure. adultery. A lot of times our wives will personalize like, oh, you looked at that because I dot, dot, dot. Or you were with her because I dot, dot, dot. But I find that that's not often the case, that usually it's strictly because of a man's brokenness. What what have you experienced in your own life? Yeah, I I was so craving the attention of others. I just, I craved affirmation and attention from others. And that, the affairs made me feel, it gave me like a false sense of like bravado and manliness. Mm. And, and so that, that's what the affairs did for me. They made me feel, and maybe they affirmed me, you know, it's like, oh yeah, see, they, they want to be with me and I'm, I am acceptable and worthy in their eyes. Well, now was your wife not making you feel that way? Or was it an inherent need that you needed beyond that? Because you were overseas, so you weren't even around her. Mm -hmm. You know, what was going, what was the state of the marriage? You know, I, I was never fully transparent with my wife in the six to seven years before I started having affairs. I I would always cover up my porn addiction and, and I would hide it from her. And, um, I would openly flirt with other people thinking that it was harmless. And, um, and so I was really just never a good husband and faithful to her is what I I found out as I was never really faithful. I almost, in a sense, I was in my marriage with kind of one foot in and one foot out the door, just testing the waters to see what else was out there. So this is all nasty stuff, right? And darkness where where, let's, let's throw Mm -hmm. Jesus in the mix. Now where, where, where is your, where does your story run parallel and then intersect with Jesus? Because obviously that happened. Why don't you walk us through that, that part mm-hmm. of your story? Yeah. You know, I don't think I ever really understood the gospel until I saw my wife take me back in. I don't really think I I understood God's grace until she displayed it to me. And so that was that was just a turning point for me personally. And then in my spiritual walk with God, I, it was like, Oh wow. He, he chose me. And, um, that, that's probably the biggest catalyst I think for personal growth for me is to seeing God use her to show me his grace. Wow. I'll tell you what, man, 
I think I could say that about my wife. I think Dale could say that, that when we see our wives and how they respond to us, we can see the grace of God. And so that was in 2016, right? When you started seeing this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so would you say you gave your life to Christ around that time? I honestly, yeah, I honestly think so. Cause I was the kid, you know, growing up in a, a Baptist church. And I remember, you know, praying the sinner's prayer on my bed at five years old with my parents. But now that I've looked back and, and just really just analyzed it, I, I don't think I really understood it until then. I don't think I really grasped what God did for me. I think uh, as a youth pastor for over two decades, I think the mistake that I made was, well, I made a lot of them, but one of them was telling kids, oh, if you give your life to Jesus, he's going to change your life. Everything's going to be better. And that's just not true mm-hmm. about the gospel. The gospel, he's going to wreck your life. He's going to destroy it. He's going to deconstruct yeah. it. He's going to take your selfish dreams and throw them in, in the hell where they belong. And he's going to completely reconstruct mm-hmm. your life into something better. But before he de- he builds it into something better, he demolishes everything. You know, did you experience mm-hmm. that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, when we went to marriage counseling, I went to... Uh, I was in Savannah, Georgia at the time, and we went to a marriage counselor at a church there. And he's like, do you all read the Bible? And I was like, yes. He's like, have you considered reading the book of Nehemiah together? And I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And the first chapter, I was like, oh, my gosh, I realized where he's going. It was talking about the rebuilding of yep. the wall. Everything's broken. And I was like, how have I never seen this before. I had never experienced true brokenness. So I, it was just like the blinders came off. So your wife has had to deal with mm-hmm. a lot in the last four years. Mm-hmm. They say it takes three to five years for a, well, you're a counselor. I think you would, you've probably read this three to five years for a, a marriage to recover from adultery. Where are you guys in this mm-hmm. process? Yeah, I, um, we are definitely in a better state, thank God, than where we were two years ago, you know, even, yeah, whenever we first moved back to Kansas City, it was, we were still raw, it was, we were still doggy paddling, if you mm. will, and, uh, yeah, thankfully, we've gotten plugged into our local church, and God has, God's been able to let Emily use her story and help the lives of other spouses, especially those in the military, though Emily was very transparent uh, on social media with some of her friends about, you know, not the details necessarily, but that she was broken. Her marriage fell apart and God has let her kind of be a counselor to other, other girls and help lead them through that. So that's been huge for us. We've gotten plugged into our local church and, uh, we are definitely in a better spot. Are there still days or triggers for Emily? I am, I'm sure, but we're definitely on the road to reconciliation. And that's really, uh, that's really good to hear. So when you heard the phrase earlier on in our podcast, that God turns your mess into his message, what do you think about that? Hmm. Yeah, I, I was initially, when I thought about going into counseling, I, I kind of had this desire to share my story, but I didn't really have a medium, I guess, to to share it. I wanted to say, hey, this is what God's done for me. It's awesome. But I never really understood that I could use my brokenness to sense the brokenness of others and to relate to them on a on an empathic level, you know, as a counselor. And so using my mess to proclaim the message and the good news of what God's done for me, you know, with you know, not, not being super, you know, transparent with clients on to a point where it's like, you know, unprofessional, but, um, Hey, I can relate to what you're going through. You know, that was me, you know, and just maybe that God using that to help clients be at ease with, uh, with what they're going through and normalize it. Yeah. That's really good, man. So, so we're a fan over here at men in the arena of covenant eyes. All of our board members mm-hmm. and every staff person is on Covenant Eyes. 
And I get I get reports mm-hmm. all the time from you know I get reports reports are given about me. What what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. Covenant Eyes, or do you have other programs that you recommend? What do you do to make sure that you're living a pure life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I loved the episodes you had with the Covenant Eyes guys on the podcast. That was that was awesome. I, I personally don't have it on mine, but I do. My wife has full access to my phone, and she actually has the like the Apple restrictions passcode where I can't like look at anything on there. Heck on my MacBook, I had to have her put her passcode in to install my printer. You know, it's um, some people think that's strange for us. They don't understand, you know, um, cause, cause I've shared that with some folks and they're just like, you do what? I'm like, yeah, she's got a passcode where I can't like access these sites unless she okays it. And, uh, I just think that if you don't have some type of safeguard on your device, you're just really, you're just playing with fire. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. We call that guardrails over here. Uh, We just really believe that's important. So, you know, it's really interesting that some people, and they say that to us as well, we will come under attack Mm -hmm. for being extreme or, but but what what do you, what, you know, and, and then here's the other thing that you probably get. Well, don't, obviously your wife doesn't trust you because she has to have your passcode. What do you say to that? Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's the word that's coming to my mind is immaturity <laughs> and just not, just not, not fully grasping the seriousness of our actions and the, and just the, the extent that, that pornography can change your brain, like physiologically change your brain. And, um, I, I think that's just short-sighted and, I think it's some, there's some pride to go along with that and wanting to, um, wanting to, you know, not let your wife, you know, have control over you, if you will. But I, I think that's, yeah, definitely short-sighted. Well, you know, it's interesting. What I have found is that, so because wives are wired so different than men, I don't think women <laughs> really understand what dirty, rotten scoundrels we are and how powerful sex is in our lives right and so Mm -hmm. people say well okay well emily doesn't trust you well i don't think that's the case at all i think it's you saying to emily i'm a dirty rotten scoundrel will you please help me i'm begging you (laughs) so what would you tell what would you tell wives out there right now who are listening to this podcast who are saying my husband doesn't have a problem I don't need to do what you guys mm-hmm. are doing. I don't need covenant eyes. I don't need to get passcode his devices. What would you, from a counselor standpoint, what would you say to them? Well, I think I'd try to gently suggest, you know, why, you know, if, if you, uh, if you had a friend, you know, maybe put it in third person form. If you had a friend whose husband you knew was like looking at porn, would you not want to say something, you know, to her? Would you not want to inform her? And I'd really probably be curious about the whole, the loyalty of it and feeling like, you know, afraid of betrayal and afraid of honesty with them. Yeah, that's really good. I I would, I would add that wives need to be more proactive in asking their husbands about sexual issues. I operate under, under this assumption, Rick, and maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe it's because I'm, playing my own personal hand here, but I believe that men, that 99% of men struggle with sex and sexually related issues. So people can fill in the blank, right? Staring at a girl's cleavage when she walks in a room, uh, diagnosing her derriere as she walks away, you know, pornography, uh, you know, whatever it may be. I believe 90, 99% of men struggle in that area. And I believe 1% lie about it. So, so yes. what, what, what would you say to that wife who goes, my husband does not have a problem at all. I trust him. He's a Christian. We love Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think you're just lying to yourself. I mean, it's, I mean, I think the church really does a, a disservice to it. If, if I'm just being frank, you know, is, um, Thankfully, you know, we've we've had some conferences at our church where they, you know, openly talk about pornography and talk about it from the pulpit about how it's plaguing the nation as well as our own church. Yeah. yeah. And 
I just, I think that if you don't think it's a problem, then you're probably missing it. Cause I'm pretty sure there is, there is a problem. Oh, it's a massive problem. And, and for us to not protect, for example, I know that my wife gets reports about the sites I go to once a week. That fact alone has brought healing into my life. Right. And so when I, yeah. when I, I, when I look at a phone, I realize I was born and raised in a day and age when Playboy, Hustler, Penthouse, it was about magazines, right? Videos, and we would actually go rent videos. I remember my stepdad coming to my house when I was 16. I can't believe I'm saying this, but with a pizza and a porno. And it was the type, first time I watched my first mm-hmm. porno, right? And so when I look at mm-hmm. a phone, I look at it as, okay, it's a device to communicate, and it's a great way to look at porn. It's just right. Oh, so, yeah. but having that covenant eyes on the phone, it doesn't even make it an issue. It's a non-issue because now mm-hmm. I realize, well, my wife, if she sees this, I would wreck her life with this. And so, uh, right. Yeah. So that's good stuff, man. I appreciate that. So what advice I, I just, you know, I, I look at the, the extreme compartmentalism in the, in the military. Now you need to realize Rick, I am a huge fan of the military like i cannot tell you my my father-in-law was in a is a vietnam vet my grandfather was a flew a p-51 on d-day i had a, my a uncle is a my seventh cousin's abraham lincoln i had relatives in the revolutionary war i mean we had people in world war one civil war i mean everywhere i've had relatives i just really love our military i love and honor them mm-hmm However, I'm mm. concerned about the compartmentalization of our military. So, for example, if you take like these yeah. high, high-end special operations guys, these uh, like a Navy SEAL, during peacetime, they're divorcing at a 95% divorce rate. So you have the greatest yeah. warriors on the planet when it comes to defense. And uh, forgive me here, but the biggest wimps on the planet when it comes to marriage. And so you've got this oh, huge, yeah. Yeah. huge, massive uh, dichotomy between these men. It's, it's, it's the greatest compartmentalization I've ever seen, right. Between warriors and mm-hmm. marriage. And so what would you say? In fact, I just finished a, a book called strong men, dangerous times, and we're raising money right now to give a thousand copies away to our military guys. Just send them out there. We really, really want to help these mm-hmm. guys. What would you say to young married men in the military? Oh man. Yeah. I think that for me, what was true of me was I just, I just became such a different person whenever I was gone. And, you know, you mentioned the stress of those environments and you're looking for a, uh, a release, you know, from that stress and that tension, but it has to be, it has to be healthy. I mean, oh my word, you go and deploy and, you know, there's general order number one, which says, you know, you can't have sex or, you know, pornography is supposed to be banned, but it's just, it is pervasive in the military, um, especially on deployments. I mean, there were guys just handing around like, you know, like terabytes worth of hard drives full of porn, just swapping them back and forth, you know, openly. And I mean, if that's, if that's your release and if that's your, um, I guess an addiction that you struggle with and you really need to be, have some accountability because otherwise you're just going to keep looking at it the entire, you know, six to 12 months you're deployed. And, you know, whenever you come home, your relationship with your wife is not going to be like the stuff you've been watching on the screen, you know, in your bunk alone at night. Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. We had a guy in our show years ago now, Dave Mendenhall. He, he was a porn addict. Now he's a, a leader with Celebrate Recovery. And he was talking about uh, how pornography, what you see with pornography, is so staged and fake. It's nothing like real life. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And what happens is these guys will go home and, and they'll act that out with their wife. Or they'll act that out with a fellow female soldier, right? Who's, uh, mm-hmm. So what you talked about a healthy release, what is a healthy, so here are these, you know, here are these great warriors for our country, you know, getting shot at what's a, re- a healthy release for somebody in the military so that they can live a, a life of fidelity before their wives. 
Mm, I mean, the obvious thing that you see a lot of is, you know, working out because whenever you, you know, you release those endorphins, you're actually able to, to soothe your mind, you know? Um, I, I wish, you know, whenever I was deployed that I had, um, you know, I could have done just so much more for myself, like professionally, you know, as I could have read more, read a book, but my word, I would just have my nose in my computer looking at porn at night, you know, um, having meaningful conversations with people and getting to know those around me instead of just keeping the superficial distance between everyone. Um, and, you know, I think the army or in the military, probably we do a disservice of, uh, keeping those that kind of, you know, arm's length. We're afraid to probably show our true colors for fear of retribution or, you know, it's an alpha male society or fear of fear of looking weak or appearing weak and having that transparency as a sign of weakness. And so, yeah, for me personally, I wish I had done anything, but waste my, my hours and, you know, destroy my mind looking at that stuff. Okay. Well, you said destroy your mind looking at that stuff. And earlier you talked about the lasting effects of pornography so mm-hmm. that so you confessed mm-hmm. your sins to your wife in 2016 without going into the weeds about you know kind of the battle since then and I'm sure there has been some kind of battle what what effects have mm-hmm. you are you personally experiencing now because of your porn and adultery uh, issues in the that that area leading up to mm-hmm. 2016 Mhm mhm Yeah I realized that um you know, I would try to make going to a church and I would try to make eye contact with women. You know, I would try to just like get them to look me in the eyes and kind of get a, gain a sense of like affirmation from that. So it really I've had to to renew my mind and train my mind, you know, to to just not stare and lust at, at women. And there's a really awesome um website, you know, it's the fight the new drug, you know, they have a, you know, it's a nonprofit, they're not Christian based, but they talk about, you know, the effects of porn and there's a brainheartworld.com hmm. and it shows the effects of porn on your brain, your heart, your relationships and on the world itself, as far as like trafficking. That was, that was huge and powerful for me. And I have not looked at porn since, October of 2016 and it's I I say that and I'm just like oh my gosh I just I can't believe I've been you know what is it almost four years later not looking at porn and the freedom that that brings you so what did you do to break that habit became transparent with my wife I uh you know for me it was I'm like you looked at porn I was like Yes, all the time. I looked at porn all the time. And I would, you know, I really had to have healthy boundaries uh, with my wife. And I let her set those. And it was, hey, you know what? You do not um, bring your phone into the bathroom anymore. And that was a boundary we had for a long time was that, uh, you know, I left my phone there. You know, she had full access to my phone. And so just little things like that, that, uh allowed me to be transparent. And then I let her set the boundary for me. Oh, I really appreciate that. Letting the wife set the boundary. That's so good, man. Well, Hey man, we are almost out of time, but why don't you share how your family has changed your family life, family since committing your life to Christ in 2016. What do these last four years look like as far as the victories go? Yeah. You know, we had prayed and prayed for that one, that one child. And then we never, we thought we were happy with one, but I have a little 18 month old girl. She's running around like crazy and, uh, God bless us with another child. And so that was, that was just, you know, that was huge for us. And, uh, you know, we, I can't say that we, you know, we still don't, we still don't struggle or, or fight. You know, we are obviously flawed sinners and um, in need of Jesus every day, but God's really let us, you know, be transparent with others, share our story. And we used to be kind of afraid of sharing our story. And if I'm being fully transparent today, I was like, 
oh, I got some other stuff I need to do. I don't really want to do the podcast. And I, uh, I had prayed a prayer because we're going through a sermon series on sharing your story. And I'm like, God, give me the opportunity to share my story. And he's like, dude, it's right in front of you. And uh, so I, I'm just really thankful you had me on and let me be able to share because my life has certainly changed. I'm Thank God I am not what I used to be. And he loved me enough to correct me. Uh, that's a powerful statement, man, that he loved you enough to correct me. And so what would you say to a guy listening to this show right now? A guy, there's probably a thousand of them listening to this show that are thinking this, man, I've got a problem that I need to address and I need to tell my wife. Mm -hmm. And that problem could be anything from credit card debt to workaholism to an emotional affair with a woman at work to pornography addiction to um, poor financial management. What would you tell that guy who right now in his spirit is driving to work going, holy crap. I need to tell my wife X. You know, I, I was, um, for me, I think I had heard it in the pulpit a lot of come forward. You know, if you have something to confess, well, I was terrified of people looking at me and saying, Oh my gosh, there goes Rick. Rick's got a problem. And I think once you become, you realize the, the, the extent of your depravity in your brokenness and you acknowledge that instead of running from it, I think that's whenever you're going to actually find the change because I know for me, I, I always ran, I always hit because I was afraid of the light. And I know that for me, the lightness was greater than the darkness. And, you know, I let, I let myself be seen and known and I think that's one of the most crucial things for us as humans is to actually be known and be accepted. And so I would just say, you know, whatever fear you have of, you know, getting uh, your marriage, your job taken away or whatever you're doing in your mind to kind of catastrophize the worst case scenario that, yeah, you messed up and it's going to be bad. You know, there are consequences for our actions, but the the grace of God is is always greater. However, He's going to bring you to your knees to to let you be able to change. Now you said, uh, "Be seen, be known, be accepted." And I think that's really good. Uh, every morning I read the Jesus story, which is a blended version of the Gospels, put out by my friend Bill Perkins and Whitehorse Publishing. And there's a a, 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 a phrase in that Jesus uses in in one of the translations. He says, "No dark corners." Mm -hmm. talks about no dark corners. And so I think that's really important. So guys, uh, what are we going to do about today? What are you going to do to get one step closer to your best version? Here's your boots on the ground, your action item for the week to, to implement in your life. And here's what we want you to do. We want you to think about how this is going to work. It's different for all of us, but we want you to start giving your wife full access, full access. What can you do to give her full access into your world so that there's not a piece of your world where there's a darkness that she doesn't see. So we will post that on our equipping blast and um, we'll get you going. So, hey, thanks so much, Rick, for coming on our show. It's been a huge blessing to have you on, brother. Uh, thank you very much for letting me share. All right. Well, Dale, take us home, man. Yeah, guys, we want you to go on over to meninthearena.org. And every week we're giving away a book. So we want you to go on over there, see what the new book is that we're giving away, the free resource. and our goal is to equip you men. So go on over there and find out what we got for you and sign up for it. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.